Start heading over to 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to be camping in 2 Chronicles 20 today. So this is our last week of our sermon series, Beautifully Broken, Semicolon, Profoundly Powerful, meaning this, as, as followers of Christ, only when we are broken before the Lord do we experience a gospel power in our life. The first week was low and lifted up. It was Elijah, who is a suicidal prophet who ran into the desert and God lifted him up. Second week was afflicted and affirmed. It was Paul's thorn. And this week is gonna be called worried and worshipful, King Jehoshaphat. So there's this common theme throughout the scriptures and it's this. People who love the Lord can often find themselves in situations and environments they don't anticipate. King David, for a season, found himself hiding in caves. Joseph, Joseph for seasons found himself in pits and in prisons. Daniel, who loved the Lord, found himself in a lion's den. The Israelites find, them between char- find themselves between chariots and water. And, and so here's one thing that we can learn throughout a theme of the Bible and in our lives, and it's this. Sometimes we find ourselves in seasons and environments that we do not anticipate. It's something that we would never even sign up for. And yet, it's in the caves, it's in the pits, it's in the prisons, it's in the lion's den, and it's between Pharaoh's chariots and a body of water that we often experience the true power of the Lord. I want us in our pit and in our prison in our hardship, and our struggle here today, I want to see how the Lord enters it in a way that takes us from a camp of being worried into a camp of being worshipful. But before we do that, let's go before the Lord humbly in prayer. So God, we, we, we come before you right now. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who is close. Lord, that you are a God who is with us. Lord, I pray for every man and woman who is just in front of me here today, God whatever their pit is, whatever their prison might be, whatever this trial, whatever this battle that they feel like they're going through, God, I pray, would we look to your word, see your beauty, your power, how you enter it, and God, I pray, would we be encouraged? Or would we not just protect us from just growing in knowledge this morning? Would we grow in experience of your power, we pray, in Christ's name, amen. All right, so we're going to be in 2 Chronicles 20. We're going to be going through this in different sections. But here's just a little precursor to what's going on. King Jehoshaphat gets some very discouraging news, and it's this. Three kings have come to destroy you. It's one king versus three kings. Now, if you're a betting man, which you're not because you're a good Christian, who do you bet on? You bet on the three kings, absolutely. Watch what happens when one king goes before his God. So listen, we're going to start and we're going to go through verses 1 through 4 at the beginning. Here we go. After this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with some of them the Munites came came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Eden. From beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar. 
Then Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Do you see that? One king received a message, and it's this. Three kings are coming against you. And what was, what was his initial emotion? He was afraid. See, there's always going to be seasons when it, whatever it is, hits the fan in your life. I'm yet to see a, a believer, a follower of Christ, be able to Christian cruise control throughout their lives. God, too many times in the word and in our own lives, puts us in difficult situations. It's not because he's unloving, but it's because his greatest investment is not our comfort. It's for us to see his power and that it would lead to a worship of him in our lives. You see, Jehoshaphat, in verse 2, it specifically says, he, he, he receives a message. There's a great multitude that's come to destroy you. You know what's worse than a multitude coming to destroy you? A great multitude coming to destroy you. And put yourself in Jehoshaphat's seat for a second. Imagine being a king, being told that three kingdoms are coming to destroy you. How would you feel? I would feel exactly like Jehoshaphat, afraid. I love how real the word of God is. That men and women who love the Lord will experience fear in seasons of their lives. If I was Jehoshaphat and the Bible was being written, I would want to do some PR on that passage. I wouldn't be like, don't write that I was afraid. Write that I was like cool, calm, and collected. Just write that I said, no worries. It's all good. But no, but here's what I love, is that people who love the Lord, it's going to be times where we have this initial, what I call in the counseling room, the trigger. It's that message that you receive. And more often than not, when you get that trigger, you know what your first emotion is? It's, it's going to be fear. But what I love about men and women who love the Lord is this. We don't have to fake it. We don't have to pretend, and we don't have to wear masks. It's what you do with the trigger. It's what you do with that fear that ultimately matters. What you do with that fear either takes you to a place of emotional death, or what you do with that trigger takes you to a place of life and of worship. Do you remember in week one, Elijah? He received a message from Jezebel, and he was very afraid. And he took that fear, and he sat in it in a way that made him run into the desert alone and suicidal. But here's what I love. Here's a passage here. King Jehoshaphat, he's showing a different response to that fear. In verses 3 to 4, it says that Jehoshaphat sought his face to seek the Lord. And he did something else that was really cool. He rallied Judah. He rallied men, women, and children to fast and seek the Lord. He's doing something really great here, and it's this. He's taking this trigger, he's taking this fear, and he's taking it to his God, and he's bringing community around him. You know what the worst kind of trial is? You know what the worst kind of battle is? One in which you are completely alone in. But this is what I love. In the presence of that trial, in the presence of that fear, in the presence of that trigger, he's taking it to the Lord. This is what I call just Christian, like ricocheting, like deflecting. He's taking it, he's deflecting it off of himself, and he's placing it upon the Lord. You know what people I love in the counseling room more often than not? It's, it's, it's the Christian who's going through a trial, and they say like one of three things. Lord, this is not mine, it's yours. Here you go, Lord. 
Or here's my favorite. I've got a problem, Lord, and the problem is now yours. You know why I love that one? You know how the Lord responds to that one? I don't have a problem. I have an opportunity to show you who I am. You see, it's okay for us to experience emotions such as fear and worry, being overwhelmed. You're not God. Your wisdom has a reach. Your strength only has a certain capacity. In seasons, in our trials, in our battles, there's going to be times where we feel weak and we feel drained out. We feel gassed. we got nothing left. But I want to encourage you. When that trigger happens, when that fear happens, do not sit in the den of despair. Do not sit in the workplace of worry. Go to the safe haven of his holiness. And there you're going to find an outlook to your worry that will ultimately bring a peace. When that fear hits, deflect it, present it, bring it, throw it to the feet of your God and watch what will happen. So the first point is this, when it hits, it's what you do with it that matters. It's not if it's going to hit, it's when. And I bet you, when I look in front of the men and women here today, there's many whens going on right now. This battle is not theoretical for you sitting here today. It's a reality. But here's the second point, and it's this. When it hits, get low and dialogue well. Get low and dialogue well. Go with me to verses 5 through 12. Ready? So he just got this message. He's fearful. Now he's seeking the Lord, and he's rallying his people to seek the Lord. Watch Jehoshaphat's prayer. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord, our God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, pestilence, famine, we will stand before this house and we will stand before you, for your name is in this house. And we will cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and you will save. And now behold, the men of Ammon, Moab, Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, and whom they avoided and did not destroy, behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. When it hits, that battle, that fear, that trigger, when that worry hits you like a brick, get low and dialogue with God. Jehoshaphat does this dialoguing with God in three really cool ways. Now, I, I have a medical condition. It's called being a millennial. And so <laughs> it's, it's borderline diagnosable. And so here's what happens. So often when millennials get together and they're, and they're going through something, this is what we always say. I'm just really praying about it. I'm just really seeking God in it. 
And you know what? It's technically true, but it's so hard to measure what that even looks like. Here, you're going to see Jehoshaphat seek the Lord. You're going to see him pray about it. But watch the content of his prayer. And I love this. In verse 5 through 6, if you're a note taker, his prayer is centered around who God is. His prayer starts with who God is, and he says this, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms and nations. In your hand are power and might. None can withstand you. Look how big Jehoshaphat's God is. Who's coming to invade him? Kingdoms. But he just said here that you rule over all kingdoms. You know what Jehoshaphat just did? He reminded himself What's coming to challenge him is still under his God. I think that's a good reminder for us here today. Whatever you're facing, you might feel powerless in. I want you to know it still falls under the umbrella of your God's sovereignty. Sometimes in our trial, in our battle, in our fear, we need to stop and remind ourselves who our God is. Now, do you think when, when he's praying this prayer, he's like informing God, hey, God, this is you, and God's like, oh, I had no idea. No, of course not. God knows exactly who he is. God knows exactly what he does. Jehoshaphat's reminding himself in this moment, my God is not weak, and my God is with me. His God rules over what he fears. Isn't that a great reminder for us here today? Whatever you fear, whatever you are worried about, I want you to know that your fear fears your God. That is a beautiful hierarchy. And so sometimes when that trigger hits, taking a moment in prayer in the stillness of our soul to praise God for who he is, to remind ourselves who he is, instantly will bring a peace. And it's not because of how great we are. It's because of how great he is. And so the second part of his prayer, he goes from who God is in verses 7 through 10. Now he goes this, what God has done. King Jehoshaphat prays, did you not? And he lists multiple things that God has done in his midst, what he has done in the, in the lives of people. He goes over evidences of God's faithfulness and presence in the midst of God's people. I want to ask you a question. If Jehoshaphat is praising God in this moment by recalling the aspects of God's faithfulness and presence in his life, when was the last time you, in the midst of your trial, in the midst of your battle, sat down with your spouse, or you took out a sheet of paper, and you compiled a list of the miraculous and faithful signs of your God in your life? I never need to ask you, have you compiled a list of your worries? We naturally do that. We can spout them off like that. But my question is this, in, the, in your battle, in your hardship, in your trial, when was the last time you actually stopped to reflect of past faithfulnesses of, of your God in your life? You know why that's really good to do? He's the same God of the present trial. See, trials shouldn't make us question our God. It should make us run to him to recall his path past faithfulnesses as a reminder of his present faithfulness. What if, like Jehoshaphat, when we receive those discouraging messages, I don't care if it's a text message, 
I don't care if it's an email. I don't care if it's a conversation you have with a person. I don't care if it's a conversation you have with yourself. What if we receive those messages, those fears, that worry, that insecurity, and in that moment we stopped and we put all that on pause and we reflected on who God is, what he has done, how different would that begin to look? Jehoshaphat's prayer also has a third point. Who God is, what he has done, and in verse 12, what we need to do. Sovereignty doesn't mean slothfulness. What's our response in all of this? So in verse 12, it says this. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's a powerful line. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This is, this is what's amazing about King Jehoshaphat's model here, and it's this. In this distress, the people of God are looking to a king to look like, what are we going to do? Now, if there's one person who should know what to do in this, it should be a king. But what I love is Jehoshaphat's humility saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna seek the Lord. You know why this is amazing leadership? The people of God are looking to a king who's looking to his God. The people of God are looking to a king who's looking to his God. Men, how freeing would this be in your own home where we don't have to posture ourselves with this fake machismo that we've got it all together? What if your greatest leadership in your home here today was this? I don't know what to do, but I'm going to look to my God. And suddenly your little ones and your wife looked to their leader of their home. And the greatest thing is they're not looking at their leader who's all self-sufficient and knowing. They're looking to their dad. They're looking to their husband who's looking to their God. That will be the greatest leadership you'll ever have in your home. How freeing is it that you can say, I don't know what to do? I'm not gonna fake it. I'm not gonna posture myself in fake pride. I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna take me and I'm gonna take my household and we're just gonna seek after the Lord. Maybe this is striking some serious nerves because you're like, I don't think I've ever done that in my marriage. I don't think I've ever done that in my home. You know what's great? Start. Don't hypercomplicate it. Don't excuse yourself. Don't back off from that. Maybe the greatest leadership you'll ever do is the posture of your home going, I don't know what to do, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna seek the Lord in this. We don't need to pretend to know how everything plays out. The power of this statement isn't in the, I don't know what to do. The power of this statement is in the, but our eyes are on you. King Jehoshaphat, his kingdom, his people are placing their thoughts, their affections, their worries, their energy, and they're not putting it on this great horde that's coming to destroy them. They're placing it on their God. They don't put their energy into what fears them. They put their energy into the thing that their fear fears. What if we could do the same thing? What if we could get our eyes off of us, off of the battle, off of the trial, and we place it onto our God? then it's going to be okay when we don't know what to do because our eyes aren't on our plan. Then we're okay when that trial comes because our eye is not on the trial. 
When we have our eyes on our God, even in the times of trouble, like King Jehoshaphat, when his enemies were coming against him, we're going to be okay. Because we've cast, upon, we've cast ourselves upon a God who hears us and will move in our midst. So the first, three points, or first two points is this. When it hits, it's what you do with it that matters. When it hits, get low in dialogue. But here, when it hits, listen and worship loudly. Read verses 13 through 17 with me. <clears throat> Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord and with their little ones, their wives and their children. And the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, a Levite, and the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, this is amazing. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness in Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow, go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat just prayed to God who his God is, what his God has done, and our response, which is to put our eyes on him. And here, God just spoke. And here's, here's one of the first commands of the Lord, and this is crazy. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. What was Jehoshaphat at the beginning of the chapter? Afraid, dismayed. So instantly the Lord kind of goes, don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. How can the Lord say that? See, this is, this is so beautiful because Jehoshaphat is afraid and the Lord says, don't be afraid. So often the Lord will give us a charge that is contrary to what we're feeling. How could he ever do that? It's because of this. The Lord has a different perspective of the battle. The Lord knows what the Lord is going to do. And by the way, when the Lord intervenes, I want to encourage you with something. When the Lord intervenes, it isn't a close call. When the Lord intervenes, destruction is coming, not for Jehoshaphat and not for the people of God, but for those who oppose the Lord. Verse 15, so he goes, don't be afraid. And it's because of this. Our God already has a different perspective. That's why we need to look to our God in the trial. Why? We're going to the shot caller who knows how this plays out. But in verse 15, he also says this. The battle is not yours. It is mine. Oh, if you just marinate in that calling, there's, there's a subtle message. It's a call to rest. When people challenge the people of God, they're making a fatal mistake because they think they're challenging the people of God. But the truth is this. They're challenging God himself. When we are in a position of obedience, when we are beautifully broken, when we are challenged, remind yourself, they're not challenging you, they're challenging your God, and that's a good thing. We're weak, doesn't take much to destroy me, but my God, that's a different thing altogether. You see, sheep are not intimidating. 
You know what's intimidating? A shepherd who loves his sheep. A shepherd who would die for his sheep. That's something a predator will double think before he enters. But I want you to know, you ready? That's who your shepherd is. That's who your Christ is here today. He loves you, he has died for you, and he is with you. And here's the next calling that the Lord gives in verses 16 to 17. Look at this. Go out and meet them. You will not need to fight. Stand firm and hold your position. See the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. This changes everything. As soon as God speaks, as soon as God gives perspective, it's game over. The enemy's lost. See, God says to go to that, like, go meet the thing you fear. Now, that's a crazy command. Go meet the thing you fear. You cannot defeat it in and of yourself. But he says, stand firm, be confident. He just gave the command, go meet the thing you fear and stand firm. Why could we do that? Because God is about to do something that is going to blow Jehoshaphat's mind. Jehoshaphat is beautifully broken, and here we're about to see the profoundly powerful. We cannot do this. We are fearful, but our eyes are on you. There's the beautiful brokenness. I'm fearful. I'm skittish. I'm nervous. I can't do this, but my eyes are on you. Beautifully broken. But when we stand firm, we meet the thing that we fear, and we will be still in before our God, then we get to see a power greater than our own. We see our God who's going to fight on our behalf. Welcome to Profoundly Powerful. There it is. Beautifully broken, profoundly powerful. It's only after Jehoshaphat has prayed and fasted does he have the strength to meet the challenge head on. But God, in his grace and his love for King Jehoshaphat, he would even use three kingdoms as a chew toy to show Jehoshaphat the power that the Lord has, the closeness that the Lord has, and his love that the Lord has for his people. And it's the same with us. I want you to know, in your own strength, don't go to the battle. In your own wisdom, don't go stand confidently. We must seek the face of the Lord and that gives us a perspective and a boldness to do the very thing that we fear. Here's my final point, and it's this. When it hits, turn it into a worship service. You're about to see King Jehoshaphat go into battle worshiping. He's not there all armored up bragging on himself. He's actually about to turn his battle into a worship service. Stop and think about it. When was the last time in your battle, in your fear, in your worry, in your trial, you actually turned it into a worship service. See, go to verse 18 through 19 with me. Then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, with all of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the Kohathites and the Korathites, they stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. I love that. It wasn't just kind of muted worship, like, yay. No, when God speaks, when God gives perspective, it should lead to a worship. Look how much this, the paradigm of this situation has changed. He went from fearful, he went from being worried, and now he's being worshipful. 
Worry just transferred in this passage to worship. Whenever we hear from the Lord, it creates this response, very loud worship. I wanna ask you, when was the last time you had loud worship in your life? And I'm not talking about a subwoofer and an amplifier and a CD. When was the last time you loudly worshiped the Lord in your life? See, right here, God is going for his main agenda in Jehoshaphat and his people, and it's this, their worship of him. Nothing is more powerful in a Christian than when their worship and their fear is properly placed. Nothing is more powerful in a Christian than when their worship and their fear is properly placed. When we worship, and we, sorry, in our worship and in our fear, when it's properly placed, it's game over for the enemy. When our worship and our fear are properly placed, we go from worship, we go from worried to worshipful. But check out verses 20 to 23. Here's where the battle happens. Here's where they go out and they see the thing that they fear. Watch how your God fights. Watch how your God intervenes for his people. Verses 20 through 23, here we go. And they rose early in the morning and they went into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Believe his prophets, and you will succeed. And when they had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and worship him in holy attire as they went before the army to say, Give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end to the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. Did you see that? As they began to worship the Lord set an ambush. Isn't that beautiful? This is so different than all these macho movies lately, right? Like you get the latest Liam Neeson movie or Gerard Butler movie, and it's some ripped guy who's gonna do amazing things, and this one character in this movie gets all the glory, all the credit, and all the honor, and God's plan is the exact opposite of that. Man, we glorify, we make movies out of rough and powerful men, but the Lord uses weak, worried children, so he gets the glory. I love this. He set out worshipers in front of the army, probably one of the worst battle plans I've ever heard. You know why? Worship artists, they're a little twiggy. <laughs> they're artistic, and I don't mean that in like a macho sense. They're sensitive. Their jeans are too tight. <laughs> they bruise like a peach. Modesty in the church used to refer to how women dress. Now modesty is how deep the V-neck on the worship leader is while he leads worship. You know why you don't send a worship artist to the front of the army? They have too much hair product in their hands. They can't hold a sword. It's just going to fly right out. God uses unusual people in unusual ways so he gets the glory. God uses people who are powerless against this great horde. God uses weak and God uses fearful children. 
And praise God if that's where you find yourself here today in your trial. Because his greatest desire is to use you and to meet you in it. So he gets the glory. No one left that battle coming home bragging to their wife, right? Like as they worshiped, the Lord set an ambush and everybody died. Nobody came home and the wife was like, hey, honey, how'd the battle go? And he's like, I did fantastic. I did amazing. He's like, no, I just got into like the first chorus of a song and then the Lord just lit everything up. (laughs) God showed up in such a way, only he got the glory as they worshiped. What if that's you in your situation here today? What if you feel powerless? What if you feel weak? What if you feel worried? And God met you in it in such a beautiful way for the rest of your days until you're with him, you could never brag on you. You could only brag on your God. Would it be worth it? You see, God worked in such a way that it created loud worship in their life. And he got the glory. What if your great horde, what if your great trial, what if your three kings was just an instrument in your God's hands designed and delegated to you to do two things? One, increase your loud worship. And two, to use you as an instrument for his glory. Is it worth it? And listen, as the worship band comes up, I want us to dialogue, is it worth it? I want us to, kind of like the point, get low and dialogue well. I want us to be reminded of a very important fact, and it's this. Every trial, every battle will be a worship service. The question is this, a worship of what? You know what it can be? It can be a worship of you. And you play the loud hymn of your comfort, your security, your fears, your insecurities, your plans, your resources, and your wisdom. It's a worship option. Meet many Christians who do it. But I just wanna encourage you, if you're gonna make it a worship of you, watch out. When you dialogue with you, you bow down to you and you call out to you, you're gonna be crushed. You can make it a worship service of another person. Maybe it's that spouse, that friend, that family member, that person who knows how to just crush you with a single word. When you make it a worship service of another person, watch out. When you dialogue with that, when you bow down to them, when you call out to them in your moment of need, they will answer back and you're gonna be crushed. What if, what if your battle, what if your trial, what if your hardship, whatever it is that you're going through here today, what if it was a worship service of your God? And it was a worship service of who he is what he has done and what he promises. Watch what happens. Watch what happens when you call out to him. Watch what happens when you bow down to him. 
Watch what happens when you seek your face to see him. Watch what happens when you dialogue with him. You won't be destroyed. You know what you're going to be? You're going to be beautifully broken and profoundly powerful. And sometimes we just need to be reminded of some of the promises of God because we can't rest in what we don't know. And I just want to use three small promises just to encourage you with where you're at here today. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16. Here's a promise to rest in. You have an empathetic high priest that you can confidently come to in your trial and in your battle. 1 John 4, 4. Greater is he who is in you than in the world. Romans 8, 38 through 39. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God. And if you read that passage, Paul lists a lot of things. And I want you to know, not your battle, not your child, nothing's gonna separate you from the love of your God. Maybe you wrestle with the battle of just condemnation. Romans 8.1, if you're covered by the blood of Christ, there's no condemnation waiting for you. Every ounce of wrath was poured out at the cross, and this battle is not condemnation, it's grace, because it's gonna woo you closer to him. All right, this one I love, it's Hebrews 7.25. It says, Christ lives to make intercession for us. Isn't that beautiful? Do you believe that your God, Christ, loves to make intercession for you in the middle of your battle and in the middle of your trial? That's a God I want to worship. But I want to pause for a moment and just say this. The promises of God are for the children of God. If you do not know Christ here today, these promises are not for you. But here's the beauty of the gospel, and it's this. Come. 2,000 years ago on a cross, that, that message was come to me. I've removed every barrier. I've removed everything between you and God the Father. Come. And maybe you're here today and you feel the weight of the battle. And you feel this brokenness, but there's no power in it. Then, then your first move is this, to give your life to Christ. And who is this Christ? Why is he worthy to give your life to? And it's this, he is the son of God who came who lived a perfect life that you could never live. And he went to the cross because we have this thing and it's called sin. It's not good. And this is consequence of sin and you don't want it. And it's this eternal separation from God. And so there's this wrath that exists between God the Father and us because of this sin. And what Christ does is he bridges that gap and he goes, I'll absorb that wrath on the cross. I will take that punishment so that you could have a relationship with me. That is why he is worthy to give your life to, and that is why he is worthy to call out into the battle. Why? He had victory 2,000 years ago. Why not rest in that victory today? You see, we as daughters, we as sons of Christ, we must continually be preaching to ourselves the truth. Otherwise, this season of life with its lie is gonna preach to us and try and destroy us. We must wrestle. We must persevere. We must endure and seek this truth or be destroyed by the lie. In order to be in a worshipful state, we must remember who our God is, what our God has done, and what he promises to do. And when our heart is disciplined in this beautiful state, in the stillness of that moment, whether the lion is roaring at Daniel, Goliath is mocking David's God, Three kings march against Jehoshaphat. Jezebel 
threatens Elijah. Paul's thorn is inflicting him. The Pharisees keep trying to shut these ordinary fishermen down. When our heart is postured, even when the battle and the thick of it is facing you head on, even when Christ is being kissed by his betrayer, in the stillness of this moment, when our heart is before the Lord, when our heart is disciplined onto the Lord, we get a rest in this simple truth, and it's this. The battle has never been yours. And maybe you need to like let it go because you've tried to make it yours. And the thing that's not yours, you keep trying to make it. And you just need to like relinquish that before your God. It will never be yours. And when you transfer ownership of the battle off of you, off of others, and onto God, watch. Watch what your Christ dies for, does for. Like watch what he does for those who he has called. Watch what, the, what he does for those whom he has saved. Watch what he does for those whom he sanctifies. Watch what he does for those whom he's given his life up for. And he's going to do it for his name and his glory. But here's a calling, and it's this. Rest in these life storms. How? It's through broken but powerful worship. Turn your battle into a worship service and watch what happens. Welcome to being beautifully broken, profoundly powerful. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are a God who meets weary, worried, worn out children. Thank you for the cross. This, this lively memory 2,000 years ago where you demonstrated not just your love for us but complete victory over everything. So thank you that when we call upon you and we worship you in the battle, we're calling upon the conqueror. We're calling upon the king of kings. We're calling upon the Lord of lords. We're calling upon the one who, that there is none like. So Lord, I pray wherever we're at here today, no matter how long the battle's been going on, would you equip us with a strength and a courage that we don't have in and of ourselves? And as we go out to meet it in a worshipful state, would we see you do only what you can do? And we pray for these things in the name and the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen.